The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. All right. Well, where was I? Well, folks, let me get serious for, for a moment. I know we're happy to see each other, but, uh, you know, what, our nation is divided more than ever. Uh, you know, one of the questions that I get <laughs> talking to some of you by phone is, where do I stand in all this? You know, where, where is Cornet standing? Where is Grace Fellowship? And folks, I kind of refuse to answer that question because I want to deal with it as a church family versus individually. And let's take a look what's happening in our country. You know, in a nutshell, we got the COVID thing. But then we recently had things in racism. Well, does racism racism exist in our country? It does. Um, I know it's true because I've seen it with my own eyes. I've experienced it, and I've you know, I shared a story with some of you when I was 18 years old and going to California. I got pulled over by a California Highway Patrolman, and you have to understand, back in 1998, Cornet did not look like this. Cornet had long hair, tie-dye t-shirt, Grateful Dead playing, and Grateful Dead Bears stickers all over his car. So I looked nothing like a Russian. <laughs> but I forgot my license at home. And I showed the police officer my badge and registration. And the next thing I know, I'll make, skip a couple of parts. My car's getting towed, everything, and I'm left on the side of the freeway. And he gave me my ticket. He said, you Russians should know better. So is there a reason he did that? Yeah, because in California, the Russians had, they were participating in a lot of crime. They were doing a lot of crime, stealing cars, um, you know, and things like that. So, and folks, racist police officers, just follow me on this, okay? Don't lose me. <laughs> because I'm going to give you two sides. Racist police officers always existed. The reason we're seeing it more of it is simply because of technology, because now anybody with the phone can see it. Well, what about all those people that got locked up or innocently, and back then they didn't have cameras? Uh, you know, of course, the officer's word was a lot more authoritative than theirs, so they probably end up in jail. Uh, so number one, racism does exist, but how do we deal with it? Now we created this group called Black Lives Matter. I agree with that statement, not necessarily with the movement. But what happens is, there's another group gets created, it's called Blue Lives Matter. And then the people say, well, you can't just have black lives or blue lives, we're going to create a group that says all lives matter. Okay, so now we have these three groups just bickering and fighting each other versus trying to resolve the issue. On top of that now, let's throw a, another caveat and say, let's defund the police. Defund the police is the latest thing. Uh, you know, first they want to take the guns away from the people. Then they want to defund the police. And folks... 
Even though I had a bad experience, I love me some police. Uh, I mean, not all cops are bad. I personally believe they should be more funded so they could have more training, how to handle things under pressure and how to stay calm in escalating situation and prevent things such as what happened recently. Uh, there's officers who uphold integrity of the badge, protect and serve their communities, and they risk their lives every day simply by just going to work. We don't have to go far for an example, right? Investorville, not too long ago, we lost two police officers to a senseless crime and was killed by a black man. I don't remember any riots here in Vesterville or in Ohio, anywhere else. Did those police officers' lives not matter? Well, once you ask their families, their kids that they left behind. And, and men and women who put their lives on the line, you want to defund them. Who are you going to call when your house is getting robbed? Ghostbusters? So you can see lots of points of use. And then now there's a, it's how ridiculous it's getting. There's another group that wants to get, you guys see the cartoon Paw Patrol? There's a cartoon character, a police dog named Chase. We want to get rid of him. Really? <laughs> That's how we're dealing with the issue? And then the governor speaks up and says, well, we're going to do police uh, reform. There certain, we'll ban certain chokeholds. We can't stand on people's necks anymore. You really needed reform to do that? Uh, why wasn't it done before? And then how long is this reform going to take place? The reason I'm saying that is because I wasn't really faced with racism until I came to America. And I came in 1990, and I remember in 1991, first big incident that I witnessed is Rodney King. Do you guys remember that? LA police officers showed footage Clearly, an armed man getting beat down by the police. What was the aftermath? Well, I looked up some statistics. There were 63 deaths. There was 2,400 injuries. More than 7,000 fires. And damage to 3,100 businesses. And nearly $1 billion in financial losses. Was that incident not enough to do reform? Um, now you have also those people that are trying to stay afloat, business owners, because of the COVID virus. But now the protesters vandalized their businesses. Now they lost their savings, their, everything that they built up, they, they lost it all. And what happens? Now they have hate in their hearts at the looters and then the police because, you know, they acted this way, which caused this action, and now they're affected. So... Oh, and there's another group on Facebook that shows statistics, you know, white on white crime, black on white crime, and they try to prove a point, and that's fine. But I was thinking, what, what happens if you lock all, all these groups together in a room? Do you think we're ever going to get a solution? We're going to get a solution? You see, you can't legislate morality. I can't. There's no law on earth that can make you love me or me love you. It's a heart problem. It's an inside problem. So it reminds me of a little boy whose mother told him to sit down, and he wouldn't sit down. And she said, don't make me come over there and make you sit down. He said, why don't you do it? So he came over and made him sit down, and he said, well, on the inside, I'm still standing up. 
And while each group has this valid points that need to be addressed, for Christians, I want to tell you, you need to look to the Word of God for answers. You see, folks, and the reason I didn't share opinion with, with you a lot, because my opinion does not matter. Uh, you know, it, it, what God's Word has to say about it, that's all that matters. We need to understand that our opinions do not trump Scripture. No opinion or personal experience stands over the authority of Scripture. And the Word of God is our authority. And for Christians to do anything uh, without looking to the Scripture would be like trying to mop up a floor with water on it while the sink is running. And you know, and the sink is overflowing at the same time. Uh, here's what God's Word says in Acts 17.26. And He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. If you have one ounce of sense, you'll know that racism is not a social problem. It is a sin. And I don't think America is a racist country, but do we have racists living in it? Of course we do. Let me also read it from 1 Peter 2.17. It says this, Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, in our social life, folks, we are to honor all men, all people. And this is something that we desperately need in our times today. We're to honor all men, red, yellow, black, white, whatever. But he also says brotherhood. What's he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about the brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, when we have unity that we have to have or we ought to have in the church, it's going to impact the city for Christ. And, but it reminds me, another question people ask. And like, you know, you ask questions, I don't have all the answers. Who's to blame? Who are we to blame for this? Uh, do we blame Trump? Yeah. Obama and the Democrats? Yeah. Uh, you know, do we blame the state government? DeWine and so forth. Uh, do we blame the schools for not teaching their issues of racism properly? Well, it's not the White House. It's not the state house. It is not the schoolhouse. It is the church house that has failed, folks. And the reason we have hell on the streets, because we don't have, preach hell in the pulpits anymore. That's, that's why we have hell in the streets. We don't preach about sin. We don't want to offend anybody. A lot of sermons, I don't know about you, but I listen to quite a few. They have no sin, no conviction, no hell, no repentance, no holiness. And I say a gospel that's preached like that has no true salvation. And I saw one of these cool pastors, you know, he's a white pastor interviewing a black pastor, and he asked the black pastor, what can he do to help stop racism? Really? You're, you're a pastor, you're asking what you should do. Didn't those two verses in the Bible tell you that racism is a sin? You preach it as a sin. Uh, you know, it, it seems that, you know, listening to some sermons, and some sermons these days, they preach for 30 minutes. They haven't used one verse of Scripture. I'm like, how do you do that? That takes talent. You know, it seems everybody's a Christian these days until it's time to get biblical. And modern churches today are more concerned with entertainment, more providing a good experience. I mean, last time I checked, we're not Disneyland, right? Preaching and teaching of God's Word, no longer the central theme on Sunday mornings. Uh, priority is just, you know, sermons are just something we patch on at the end of the service, and, and that's it, you know. So we just have it, so we look like a church. Uh, but we get some motivational speeches uh, most sermons today preach the unholy trinity. 
me, myself, and I, right? Uh, it's, they preach how good you are, how special you are. It's so men-centered. And one of the primary sins in the last days will be self-love. Self-love. If you go to 2 Timothy 3, in verse, first two verses, it says, But know this, that in the last days, spurious times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. And Philip's translation puts it, men will utterly be self-centered. But let me tell you what the Bible says about our true condition and why we need of a Savior. If you go to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, there is none who seek after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, not, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. Their poison asps under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is no longer preached in churches, most churches. We have a lot of cotton candy preaching. It tastes as good but never fills you up. You leave here, you're, you're motivated, pumped up, but throughout the week you just don't know what to do. But Jesus said in John 5, 39, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are which testify me. Search the scriptures means study them, meditate on them, live by them. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today has very little respect uh, or influence in the world uh, because we brought it upon ourselves, folks. We really did. We lost the, the savorless salt. Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And that's what's happening to the church. We've lost respect in the eyes of the world because, folks, we become just like the world. And the church that's just like the world has nothing to offer to the world. That's why nobody was really looking to the churches. They're going to the riots. But, you know, now I'm starting to understand, if you heard me before, uh, I didn't really understand when, when Jesus is going to come back in Luke 18, 8, we find these words, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? And that really puzzled me at times. Like, God, we got, you know, for example, if you take the Southern Baptist Convention, it's like huge millions of people professing Faith in Christ, you know, what about us? The and he says, will I find faith? Not even a church or anything. He says, will I find faith? What's happening? He believed that our nation, folks, that was born in 1776 must be born again. Or we will join the graveyards of nations. Folks, it, it's history just repeating itself. You know, we have a lot of socialism things that are being pushed in this country. Have we not seen Soviet Union? Have we not seen China? Why, why is it just, just common sense? You know, I don't, understand, I don't understand. Now, what I want to look at, if this nation dies, folks, if this nation dies, it will not be homicide, it will be suicide. We're going to do it to ourselves. And I want you to look with me in Second Chronicles, and this is our main text, chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I shall hear them from heaven and forgive their sins 
and heal their land. Now, this promise that I've read to you is a promise that was given to Israel a long time ago. And sometimes people tell me, you don't have any right to claim it because it was written to Israel, not to America. Well, let me read from you for 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition in whom the ends of the ages have come. And the message, I don't suggest it, but just a paraphrase, not a translation. All of these are warning markers, dangers in history books. Again, have we not learned anything from the past? They're written down so we don't repeat their mistakes. Our opposition is story of parallel. They're at the beginning, we're at the end. We're just as capable of messing up as they are. So I'm aware of the fact that this promise was given to Israel. But I'm also aware of the fact who gave this promise. And, and, and this verse shows the heart of God. And he doesn't want necessarily just to bless Israel. He wants to bless any nation whose God is their Lord. And let me show you another example of what happened here. Remember the story of Jonah? I'm sure all of you remember the story of Jonah, right? But in 1 Jonah, verse 2, God tells him, go to Nineveh in the great city. You know, their wickedness come up before me. And then in Jonah 3, 4, Jonah begins to enter. We all know the story, how he got there and so forth. But then he started to preach. And this is his sermon. Yet 40 days of Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's his sermon we have recorded. What happens? So there's chaos, there's wickedness, and here's a prophet that says, you guys got 40 days. He's walking around town telling them we've got 40 days. Look at Jonah 3, 6 through 10. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh that he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now, pay attention a little bit here. He's a king. You know, he has a purple robe, probably. He's taking it off. He's taking his crown off. He's humbling himself. And it caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor her flock taste anything. Do not let them eat and drink water. But let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So this is one of the most wickedest countries on the planet at the time. They were known for their violence, cruelty, and despite you know, this weak message by the original chicken of the sea prophet, we call him. Jonah turned to the Lord, preached the gospel, whatever God told him to do, and in mass repented in their sins, and God spared them and extended their days. Could the Lord do that for America? Could the Lord do that for America? Folks, that's why I say they come join us in the prayer meeting, and i Kind of sound redundant to Mike. I said, Mike, you got the most important ministry in this church, and that is the prayer ministry. There's power in prayer and repentance, and we as Christians are often, we're so vocal about, you know, we're concerned about putting prayer back into schools. I think we need to be more concerned about putting prayer back into churches. 
in our own homes. And God's word says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and praise and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal them from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. First thing I want to look at is the people. We're going to look at four Ps today. The first one is people. This whole promise of healing the land is predicted on what God's people do. So many times we say if only the government would do something, uh, only if those violent protesters would do something, only if those wicked sinners in the world will repent, God's not looking to them. God's looking at us. He's looking at you. Are you one of his people? Then stop putting the blame on somebody else. You know, if America fails, it will be our fault. Uh, you say, well, if God could only do some things, well, you, you know, why is God allowing this? If God will do this, God is not, we're not waiting on God. Do you guys know that? We're not waiting on God to do something. He's waiting on us. And do you think God is to blame for this mess where we're in? Um, do you think that the reason we're in this state because God's been indifferent? It's, our, it's not our duty to persuade God to do anything, to send revival. We must permit him to send revival. If my people, you know, if I read a story, a woman got involved in the politics and and she was so enthusiastic, and she was winning, and so forth. And she told her husband that, looks like we're going to sweep the state. Looks like we're going to sweep the state. And he said, I suggest that you start at your own back door. Church must start at the back door. Do you know why? First Peter 4.17 says this, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the White House, at the State House, at the Church House, at the House of God, at the house of God. Now, you know, I was, I was kind of upset when all these things are happening and, you know, the COVID, now we're kind of relaxing, now all these protests, you know, you, you get cooped up in the house, you can only stand there for so long, uh, you know, because uh, my wife started to, like, go for walks on her own, no, no longer together, she's wanted her own time. And, and, and I was praying for the church and how we should move forward and so forth, and God doesn't talk to me like some big audibly, but it was just a convincing thing. It says, if I'm going to send revival to your church, to anything, I'm not going to route it through White House. I'm not going to route it through the State House. He's going to route it through the Church House. And political process, folks, will never, never bring revival. We think if we have our man in the White House, we have our man in the Congress, we have our people in the Supreme Court, that that's going to bring revival. No, it wouldn't. God brings revival, not politics. And revival is not some emotion worked up in excitement. It's not a, you know, some invasion from it's a, it, it's, it's, it's an invasion from heaven that brings people to awareness of God. And really, it's a church, church word because, uh, because revival is meant for believers. You know that? It's for believers. Non-believers don't need revival, they need evangelism. Christians need revival. And that's why we're going to, all over the world, preach the gospel, because Christians need revival too. And if we're revived, then I believe we would, if we're self-revived, then I believe as Christians we will also be evangelizing. So revival begins not at the state house, the white house, but in this church house, in your house, and in my house. 
you see God is saying here, it's my people. If my people would live as they ought, they should impact a nation. God says, if my people. So that's the first thing. The second P is for pride. If you look back at Chronicles 7.14, it says, if my people are called by my name, do what? Humble themselves. We all know God hates pride. In Proverbs 6.16, it says, these things the Lord hates and seven of our abomination to him. Do you know what number one is? Verse 17 says, a proud look. Proud look, a lying tongue. Pride is number one above all things. God hates pride. It was pride that made the devil the devil. It was pride that corrupted the human race. Do you think Eve would have sinned in the garden and ate the forbidden fruit if he just presented it like as another fruit? Like, hey, all these fruits, eat this one. No, but how, how did he do it? It was the devil's lie to her. He said, if you eat it, you will be as God. You'll be as God. It's that pride. Every time you see a hospital, Ohio Health, or like taking over, you can say, pride did that. Anytime you see a murder, you can say, pride did that. Anytime you see racism, pride did that. Because if there have not been pride, there will be no sin. Uh, pride is the, is, is the root of all sin. It's the mother's sin, and it's the father's sin. And, you know, in Proverbs 11, 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But the humble is wisdom. And God has a better plan for us, he says. He calls his people to humble themselves. And I hear people say, Lord, make us humble. You know, and I, frankly, sometimes scared to pray that kind of a prayer, tell you the truth. Uh, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, I was reading about Muhammad Ali, and he had a good example of pride at work. He was on an airplane once and was standing up in the aisle Talking and laughing. You, for those of you who know Muhammad Ali, he was quite a talker and, you know, uh, with entertaining passengers. And finally, a stewards came back and said to him, Hey, you have to sit down and fasten your seatbelt. We're about to take off. He says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, Well, Superman don't need no airplane either. So sit down and buckle up. <laughs> so I don't want God to humble me kind of like that. I don't want God to humble me because he says, He's going to do it in a way I might not enjoy, but at the same time, I do want to be humble. But I have a choice to humble myself before God. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, 31, 32, says, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But if we are judged, then we are chastened by the Lord, who not condemned with the world. So sometimes you got to humble yourself, because God might take a different route of humbling you than you might think. We're to humble ourselves. And, you know, we're trying to save face when that's the thing we pretty much need to lose the most. Uh, we won't want to confess sin. You know, many of us dress up. Now you guys got your designer face masks, too. Um, we, we come to church. We sit in church. And we sing, smile. I'm bent. I'm broken. But all of us are guilty of lack of genuine humility before God. And in James 4, 6, it said, But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's very interesting. God resists the proud. How would you like to have God as an enemy? Not only for him 
not coming to your side, but he's your enemy. He's resisting you. One of the ways you can do that is just be full of pride. Just be a full of pride. God resists the proud. And grace, he gives more grace, is the ability to do the will of God. It's grace that puts that desire in your heart. It's grace that gives you the ability to fulfill that desire. But God hates pride. So we as individuals and as a church need to get rid of pride and humble ourselves before God. Next thing I want to look at, the third P, is prayer. Prayer. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, then it says, And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The prayer, and we, Mike and I kind of talked about this last night, prayer that God hears is the prayer that seeks God's face. You didn't know what's a lot wrong with our prayers that we pray? We kind of talked about it last night, Mike, so sorry. We're seeking the hand of God, not the face of God. It's me, 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 help me, help me. We're not seeking the face of God. But God says we need to seek his face. And we need to seek his face, not the hand. And you say, well, God is only hope. You, you guys hear that? God is only hope. Well, that statement is true, but i tell you something else. God is our biggest threat as well. You know, the reason what I'm saying is we can have all these terrorist countries, whatever, just send bombs our way, right? Well, we're going to fire back. God sends a little virus, the whole world is still. No cure, no nothing. We can send rockets, bombs. I can only imagine what the Pharaoh had to deal with, right, when he had ten plagues. God is a God of vengeance. He will judge us. And the Bible says we're to seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Listen, we are to turn from our wicked ways. Why should God bless our church? Why should God bless America? He will not let's do it unless we turn from our wicked ways. You know, to pray without repentance angers God. In Psalm 80, verse 4, it says, O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? He's angry against the prayer of his people. Not only God does not hear, it angers him. And this was time when Israelites, uh, there was a time where Israelites crossed, crossed Jordan. And you guys remember, they fought the Battle of Jericho. The walls came tumbling down and so forth. And then they, with their pride, went against that little city, Ai. Two-letter city. But Israel was defeated. And they ran like whipped puppies from their enemies. And Joshua, the leader, fell on his face and said this in Joshua 7, verse 6 and 7. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell onto the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. So they got beat up pretty bad. They don't know what to do. And Joshua said, Lord God, have you brought us to this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of Amorites to destroy us? That we need to be content and dwelt on the other side. We could have stayed over there in Jordan. What are we doing over here? What would you, you bring us over here? God, you failed us. We, we've been defeated. What does God say in verses 10 through 11? So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus in your face? Israel has sinned 
And they also have transgressed my covenant, which I commended them, for they have even taken some of their cursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have put also it among their own stuff. What was, what was he saying? Joshua, you can pray all you want to, but until you deal with repentance, prayer, this is not some smoke screen. You can't hide your pride, your sin. You've got to repent. You've got to repent. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah 59, first two verses says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ears heavy that he cannot hear. So God, it's not like he's busy right now. He can't help America or help Grace Fellowship. But he's saying, but your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face. Do you see that? How are you going to seek his face if he has hidden his face? He's hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. To try to pray, yet to live in the known sin, is like hanging up the telephone on heaven. Trying to make a phone call when your phone is dead. Now, let me illustrate some sins in our lives. Because there's different sins. And I want to point out there's sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission is doing what you should not be doing. It's doing something you should not be doing. But sin of omission, obviously sometimes we don't think it's a sin. It's not doing what you should do. You might be committing a certain sin and you're wrong before God. Maybe God told you that you need to pray more. Maybe God told you that you need to share the gospel. And you say, I ain't going to do it. That's the sin of omission. And what are you talking about? The Bible says, folks, in James 4.17, says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him is a sin. We don't often think about that. Turn from that sin. Turn from that wickedness. If you think of that story in Nineveh, what did he say? Turn from your wicked ways and your evil hands and so forth. And folks, we don't talk about repentance much because we think that, hey, I repented, I'm saved, yes. But again, I've repented a lot more since I got saved because I know more about God, more about myself, and more what I need to do. And really, repentance is all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. And, and you know, the first message that Jesus gave, Matthew 3.12 says, saying, repent from the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Last message Jesus gave from heaven to church in the Revelation 2.6, it says, repent or else I will come quickly and fight against them with the word of my mouth. And the message today for us is in Luke 13.33, says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So, folks, I want to also make sure you understand that repentance is more than a conviction of sin. It's more than a conviction of sin. Paul preached to a man named Felix. And the Bible teaches that Felix, he trembled like a leaf in front of him. He was scared. In Acts 24, 25, it says, Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, this is Paul, self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have convenient time for time, I will call for you. But history tells us he never made that call. He was convicted, he was afraid, but he would not repent. So repentance is also more than a confession of sin. If I have uh, confessed my sin, have I repented? No. And let me explain that to you. Uh, if there's uh, Pharaoh confessed sin, 
Listen to these verses in Exodus chapter 9, verses 23. It says, And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Right? So it's that plague or whatever is coming down. Now what happened when the fire and hail and the storm and the lightning was running on the ground? Pharaoh confessed his sin. He did. And verse 27 says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. My people and I are wicked. I have sinned. But what happened when the storm died down? The conviction that was born in the storm died in the calm, right? And doesn't that seem familiar with this whole country? Let me, let me just back up this whole thing that's happening. We had Martin Luther King days, right? Do you guys remember civil rights movement and so forth? Then I'm just going to use the Rodney King incident. Then all this stuff that's happening now. There was time between those three periods. What was happening during those three periods? Did we forget about those things? We just need conviction. You know, we're sorry. We repent of our sins. But then we just do them? No, it says turn from those wicked ways. I think, you know, it's so foolish because a lot of you know I love history. We just tend to repeat history over and over. We don't look at other nations and what they're doing uh, we just say we're, we're not going to be like them. We're going to have socialism, but we're not going to be like them. Well, it don't work. And repentance is more than conviction, and it's more than just a confession. So what is true repentance? In Jonah 3.8, we, we read that everyone turned his evil way from the violence that is in his hands. Turn. And that's what he's saying. This repentance is turning and the word, the word literally means change of mind. It's a heart change. It's repentance. Listen, it's a wholehearted change. Uh, let me ask you a question. Do some of you have the idea where you uh, have some things you want to take care of in your life, and you're like, hey, I'm going to repent of my cursing today, but I'm going to deal with my racism tomorrow? Do you think you can do it by gradualism? I dealt with my cursing, now I'm going to... No. It's a change, wholehearted change, where you stay once and for all, I'm sick of all my sin. I'm sick of all my sin. I'm tired of my sin, and I turn. Ezekiel 14.6 says, Therefore, to say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from, and listen, what does it say? From all your abominations. Not several, all. Repentance is a heart change. We have, you know, a repentance where like a little girl who prayed, the Lord make me good, just good enough not to get a spanking, right? And, and that's how some of us are. We say, if we could just repent of this thing, then perhaps God will bless this church, bless my family, bless America. But folks, but can you imagine, instead of this cotton candy preaching, if in every church today, there was a man in the pulpit that called his church to repentance. If my people... Folks, I can only imagine in one day the change that will happen in this country. In one day, if every church across America called on to repent, we're the problem. We're no longer the light to the world. Now, what's the promise? 
That's the fourth P. And here's the promise. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's what I want to see, folks. I think most of us here will want to see America healed. We want to see our nation restored. But most of us say, what about all those wicked people? Look at those protesters. Look at those looters. What about them? Well, folks, in here, he's not talking about those sins of all these wicked people. God is talking to his people. God is talking to his people. We'll all point fingers. We'll say, follow the liberals, follow Hollywood, Washington, problems in the White House. And God says, look, people, the problem is in my house. The problem is in my house. And the problem is in your house. And the problem is in my house. And God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their right. You know, when the church gets right and we begin to do what we ought to do, then we can start dealing with those other problems. So we need to stop pointing fingers. Somebody's asking you for an opinion. This is what God's word says. Stop pointing fingers. Don't look to your man to the right. Don't look to the man to the left. You know, and if you're able, get home. Use some painter's tape or draw a circle on your floor. I don't want complaints later. Stand inside that circle and say a prayer. Say, God, start a revival inside this circle. Start a revival in this circle. I'm willing to do it. That's what we need to do. Don't put it off until tomorrow in your personal life. Stop posting things on Facebook. You know, I'm not saying don't post anything, but I'm just saying, you know, we had the blackout Tuesday. And, and I'm sorry, my, this is my personal side here, so my opinion, I know it doesn't matter. But you think by putting out blackout Tuesday is going to solve something? you just trying to be cool like everybody else? How about actually try to resolve the issue versus just posting the picture? Blackout Tuesday, I support this. Once you get down on your knees and start praying, once you lead a group in your church, say, hey, we had a special prayer here last night. Once you have a special prayer like that for the nation, well, that's all you do is we just pray for the nation. Not your personal needs, but for God to humble ourselves. And folks, again, when I got saved, I repented of my sins. I turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, I did more repenting after I got saved. Learn so much about yourself. Learn so much about God. And I want to remind you, the hope for America is not in the White House, not in the State House. It's the Church House. We can turn this nation around. Because you see, it doesn't matter who's in the White House, really. Obama, Trump. What does God do with their hearts? With the king's heart? He can turn it either way. Nineveh, wicked people. What that made that king turn off his robe, throw it down, sit in ashes, and said, hey guys, we've been wicked. Everybody, no water, no nothing, we're fasting, we're praying. 
we got 40 days. We're just going to pray if God can, you know, is merciful if he can turn this thing around for us. But we must turn from our wicked ways. And he did. And we have so many churches, but we do not hear repentance. No calling their people to holy living. And you know, what we need to understand, the devil is no longer fighting churches. He's joining them. He's joining them, and he does more harm by sowing tares and pulling up wheat. He accomplishes more by imitation, fake Christians, than outright oppositions. You know, the guy I pick on will be Joel Osteen. I don't need to say much. You go on YouTube, watch his interviews. It's homosexuality a sin. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's not my call to be judgmental. Hey, even though it's tough for me to say that, Scripture's authority, so I have no choice but to believe the Scriptures. That's what the Scripture says. So, you know, it's not my problem. It's a problem between you and God. And we as Christians, folks, need to wake up. See what's happening. We're not being the light God intended us to be and attempting to reform society with the, without the Lord Jesus Christ is, I said this before, it's like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's not going to get us anywhere. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray. Father, we have read your words. You have told us what to do. So, Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray that you send spiritual awakening. And we know, Lord, if people are going to come to faith, it has to start with us. Revival is for us. So, Lord, today, right now, we are humbling ourselves. We are praying. We are seeking you. And we're turning from our wicked ways. We're asking you to send this awakening to our nation, to, our, to this church, to our churches across the nation, and to us as individuals. And as we leave this place, I, I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.